Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA Podcast Recap Edition. This is technically episode 200 when you think about it. <laughs> technically, yes. Um, this is the second time we are recording episode 199. Our sincerest apologies. We had uploaded uh, our first rendition this morning, and upon releasing it, realized that the audio was pretty unbearable. So we, we scrapped it. We're here. It's about uh, noon uh, Monday, so you guys will be seeing this the day that we are recording. But it's going to be the same contents that was in we talked about. Yeah, yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> but hey, we got it. That was basically a test run. So yes. hopefully, this means this episode is going to be just the best of all time, right? Basically, high expectations. <laughs> but I'm going to cut right through the small talk, right through all that. I'm going to tell you guys that you can follow Dominic on Twitter and Instagram at dsley14. You can follow the podcast on Twitter or Instagram at baj underscore MMA podcast. If you're watching on video, just look above Dom's head. And for me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at ntbaker underscore. Link in the bio takes you to the link tree, list of links. Shout out to today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out. And with that, we head back to the apex, Dom. UFC Vegas 52 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Jessica Andrade, the former strawweight champion, returns to the division she once ruled and gets the first ever... Standing head and arm triangle, is, or is it is it just called an arm triangle? That's what I call it. Yeah, yeah. standing arm um, triangle. You know, impressive over stuff. Here. Yes, the first standing arm triangle in UFC history gets it done in the first round, about three minutes in. Dominic, it was an interesting fight. Obviously, only three minutes long. Lamos seemed to be getting the better of the stand up early. Seemed to be mixing her strikes up very well. A lot of good leg kicks. But uh, as Jessica Andrade, very, um, she she pounced on the opportunity. There, I say she yeah. she found they found themselves in a bit of a clinch. Lamos trying to avoid that, and Andrade was able to catch her in that submission, and that's all she wrote. So, um, for you, is this the kind of performance for Jessica Andrade to throw her right back into the title picture here at Strawweight? Yeah, it's definitely one that puts her in the picture. However, the picture is so jam-packed right now, she's going to probably have to wait a little bit. Uh, I'm going to stick with what I said Thursday and say one more win, regardless of who that is, and she's right there for the title. Uh, what a performance from her. Lamos looked good, to her credit. She had won five in a row, was doing what I felt she needed to do in order to win the fight, but Andrade, with so much more you know, high-level experience, she was able to close that distance. Inevitably, it was going to happen. And uh, Lamus was unable to respond well. Of course, she got locked into a historical submission that's never happened before. Jessica Andrade, still only 30 years old. It blows my mind all of the records and accolades that she has and still only 30 right in her athletic prime. Many big things still ahead for Jessica Andrade. What a way to re-enter the division that she once uh, held the crown in, man. Yeah, for as much credit as we give Andrade for her hands and the power that she holds, eight TKOs, by the way, this was her seventh submission win in yeah. her career, so she's quite quite uh, flexible when it comes to yeah. mixing it up. She'll sub you, she'll knock you out either way you're going to sleep. And to me, Dominic, I can't help but I get that itch after this fight, man. I want so badly to see the trilogy fight between Jessica Andrade and Rose Namajunas. Now, am I a little biased? Yes, Jessica Andrade is probably my favorite female fighter, so, like, obviously, like, 
that fight just probably means more to me than maybe some people. But I think that fight has a lot of relevance. Yeah. Sure, you can look at those first two fights and maybe some people remember them as like Rose kind of dominating, but then Andrade getting lucky in the first fight, second fight being more of how it would go over the course of 15 minutes. But that second fight, you guys should go rewatch it. It was a great fight. Rose was great for the first two rounds, but then Andrade came out back late hurt rose multiple times if that fight went into the championship rounds if it was a title fight i'm not sure that rose naminus makes it out of there alive so that's why that fight just still interests me but we did get an official announcement on saturday for like whaley yoana 2 that's happening this summer you do have marina rodriguez who might be the 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 most deserving of all these contenders and obviously Whatever happens with Rose and Esparza, you you never know what could follow for either of those two. So the picture's uh, log jammed. Who would be an ideal next opponent in your eyes if you had, like, one choice to give to Jessica Andrade? Yeah, man, that's a good question because she's got history with three of the four names you just mentioned. You know, <laughs> there's one and one with Rose. She uh, lost the title to Wei, Zhang Weili. She lost a title opportunity against Joanna mm-hmm. Young-Jacek that a lot of people forget about. That was a fun scrap back at UFC 211 in Dallas. So shout out to Stipe also was on that car. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for Jessica, it – Listen, I love Marina Rodriguez. She's on a tear right now. She is the most deserving to face the winner of Carla and Rose. That's happening here in two weeks. But if the UFC is reluctant on pushing her into that spot, why not do Marina Rodriguez versus Jessica Andrade, a title eliminator, a fresh matchup for both, but especially Andrade, who seems like she's fought every woman in the history of the UFC in all three divisions. So why not do that? That's an amazing scrap, too, by the way, Marina a phenomenal Muay Thai practitioner, great at managing the distance. Andrade, you know, we've seen her fight someone like that in Joanna, but that was years ago, five or six at this point. So mm-hmm. how could Jessica kind of approach this differently this time around in her uh, second stint at fly, or Strawweight, excuse me? I think that would be the fight to make should Marina not get the title shot. Yeah, I, I, I want to root for Marina to get the title shot, but all I'm saying is that I'm not going to be upset if Andrade gets right. it just because – yeah, she only beat the number 10 person here, but guys, she was already ranked number one yeah. at women's flyweight, and obviously before that was on a really good run at strawweight, was probably ranked like number two when she left that division. So she's still one of the best in the division. I'll be interested to see where the, the rankings place her on yeah. Tuesday, just yeah. because she is only beating number 10, but she should not just jump into number 10. It should be... She should, she should honestly be, yeah. be top five, if I'm being honest, I think. I'm, yeah, I'm, dare I say she should be, like, right behind Zhang Weili. I mean, Yoana's yeah. out of the ranking, so, I yeah. mean, it, it seems the fit for me. But it, you have a good case for Marina and that fight to happen. It's just the reason I don't want that to be the next fight is because I want one of those two to get the next title shot the most. Exactly. So, but if that matchup did happen, stylistically, very interesting. The strength of Andrade versus the technical precision of mm-hmm. Marina Rodriguez, um, very interesting. Yes, yes. Now let's move into more on this card later, but we're going to talk about a lot of MMA this weekend. I mean, guys, yeah, so much. So, so much. much. I mean, it started on Wednesday with PFL. Yeah, we got we got a bunch here. But Bellator 279, this was the first of two or the second of two Bellator events this weekend. This was the one on Saturday, headlined by the 
rematch for the women's featherweight title. Chris Cyborg once again is your champion. And she will leave with that very title after a very hard-fought, unanimous decision win over Arlene Blenko. Now, first fight, Chris Cyborg gets her first submission of her very long and illustrious MMA career. Here, Dominic, not quite the same result. Well, it was kind of the same result in the sense of the winner. Yeah. But the fight went much differently. I thought Arlene Blenko made a much better showing of herself. Yeah. Fought with a lot of heart, a lot of guts. Fought through some big, heavy shots that she was eating. Landed a few good ones of her own. Yes. But, man, Chris Cyborg here, dare I say, like, this was like the best Cyborg has looked in Bellator almost. I mean, yeah, she didn't put her away, but she just, I mean, and this was, and she did not even fight probably the the best fight for Blenko. Like, I, I don't know if that's. I might be misjudging that statement, but think about how the first time out, she got so much better of the uh, grappling exchanges Mm -hmm. that you would think that she might go back to that here, but she never did. She basically fought Arlene in the style of fight that Arlene would have the best chance to get a victory, but dominated her throughout. She she was outmatched here, Arlene Blenko, that is, but she deserves a, you know, she deserves a tip of the hat for for a hell of a performance yeah i agree man this fight kind of gave me similar vibes to when cyborg fought <laughs> leslie smith uh you know kind of a drag it out war she did finish her in the fifth round in that one with nine seconds left but you know take out the finish that's what this fight was honestly so you know i enjoy seeing cyborg be uh tested if you will kind of seeing her go into the deep waters and she performs well man and she's like 36 or 37 years old now but still looking as good as ever still doing things she hasn't done you know her first decision in bellator so uh she's still at the top of her game as far as i'm concerned uh she looks great powers there techniques there she just seems to still be evolving maybe not leaps and bounds but she still is just getting better and with all the fights and experience that she has and her age it's it's quite impressive man so for her to just continue at this is her fourth title defense already in bellator she's still very active so man i mean she just keeps putting accolades and icing on top of this illustrious career she's had yeah and in the post fight we saw her mention two different names well three but i'm not going to include amanda nunez in this uh she mentioned Kat Zingano mm-hmm. and, of course, Kayla Harrison. Now, as I had um, possibly predicted, Kayla Harrison was not in attendance. At least I don't believe she was. They didn't show her anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that Kat Zingano was watching this fight very closely. We've been kind of confused why that title fight hasn't been made yet. Yeah. Do you think that's the next fight, or do you do you kind of trust the words of Scott Coker from a couple months ago where he guaranteed that uh, Cyborg would be defending in a rematch with um, Sinead Kavanaugh in the fall. Yeah, listen, Kavanaugh looked great in her last fight. Um, showed a lot of resiliency, but I'm pretty sure she had a banged-up knee, so I don't know what her actual status is in terms of fighting. It has to be Kat Zingano next. That fight's never happened. It's two OGs of women's mixed martial arts, especially at like the top-tier promotions for both of them, and the fact that they've never fought uh, is quite mind-boggling, honestly. So, I hope that uh, that is what is next. I don't know what the holdup has been. I foresee Chris Cyborg fighting one more time in 2022, uh, defending her belt against uh, Kat Zingano. And then, Noah, 
you know, you mentioned that second name and Kayla Harrison, and I know she's getting ready to fight here in two weeks. The regular season for the PFLs kicked off, as we're going to talk about later. But I can't help that by the end of the year, should Kayla win the season? Because she has to win, obviously, for this to happen. But I think should she do that, by this time next year, if we haven't seen Harrison versus Cyborg yet, it's at least going to be in talks, getting ready to happen. I think one more fight for Cyborg. Kayla finishes the season. 2022 is over. 2023, big year, huge fight. Book it. That's definitely what the PFL is looking to do, you can tell, because that's when they're wanting to start their pay-per-view division, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, they, I know the Spinning Backfist show did an interview with the uh, – is he the president, the owner of PFL, the head honcho of the PFL? I don't know the title, but CEO, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and he had mentioned that, like, that kind of fight would be prime for their oh, yeah. pay-per-view division. Um, so that that would make a lot of sense. Uh, but, yes, a lot has to go right for that to happen. And, yes, it does seem like a – you know, a, a, it seems like a pretty solid bet to say that Chris Cyborg – or Chris Cyborg will hold her title and Kayla Harrison will win the tournament, but it's still yeah. got to happen. Right. You know, Cyborg wants to stay active. Who's to say she doesn't defend two more times this year? Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure if it matters if it's Kat Zingano or Sinead Cavanaugh. I know, you know, we, we like Kat Zingano. We like that, you know, her career, she's been able to kind of bounce back from a lot of personal turmoil and, mm-hmm. and make a very solid run here in Bellator. But, you know, I don't know if it's really a harder test than Sinead Cavanaugh is at the end of the day. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Kat Zingano is not a natural women's featherweight. I'm not sure what she would really offer that to, to you know, harm Chris Cyborg to make her really work for it. But that's not why that's not why fights get put together. You know, you've yeah. got, you got she's a clear, deserving contender. I just wish Bellator would kind of give her that shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, more on this card to come as well, actually right now, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Bantamweight Grand Prix. Yeah, yes. I know the the headline talks about the, the co-main spot, but we're just going to talk about the, all the, the Grand Prix action that we saw. It started with Bellator 278 mm-hmm. on Friday. Uh, we had our two play-in bouts that saw... Uh, Enrique Barzola get a unanimous decision win over Nikita Mikhailov. Danny Sabatello with a dominant unanimous decision yes. over Jornel Lugo. And then we had two quarterfinal matchups as Rafael Stotts got the knockout of Ooh. Juan Archuleta, the former Bantamweight champion, t- to secure his interim gold. He did that with a mixture of a head kick, where the knee landed to the head and then threw some elbows to follow it up. 16 yep. seconds in round three. It was perfect. Yes. Uh, and also, finally, we also had Patchy Mix get a bit of a, a bit of a surprise win here over Kyoji Horiguchi. Horiguchi may be one of the favorites to win this whole tournament. Loses his first matchup here with Patchy Mix via unanimous decision. So a lot of fights, a lot of good fights. What are the big takeaways here for you, Don? Yeah, it's just a quick rundown for me, firing off on all cylinders here. We got to start with Rafion Stotts. He gets the headline here on the show for a reason because he had the most dominant, at least the most decisive win. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say dominant, not dominant. But yeah, 
the most decisive finish, the most decisive win, putting a uh, former champion away, Juan Archuleta like that. It was a brutal knockout for Rafion Stotts, you know, a former teammate. I don't know if they're still teammates. I know he was with Extreme Couture for this camp, so maybe him and Sergio start to separate because they know a fight is on the horizon. But still, you know, that both those guys, the fact that they hold gold technically, what a story there. Uh, if they ever get to fight, it's going to be massive for Bellator, I'm sure. So what a performance from Stotts. You know, Juan Archuleta came out with a wrestling game plan, which I'm sure Stotts was not prepared for, being that he's known for his grappling. Uh, so for him to kind of weather that storm, kind of reroute his game plan to finish it on the feet was quite impressive. You know, you have Patchy Mix. If he gets on your back, you're fucked. You're not going to get him off. He's the backpack, as Noah said yesterday in our first run of this episode. So that was quite the performance, not necessarily some barn burner, some back and forth war, but good in the sense that he showed he's dominant on the feet. Horiguchi still there, one, two rounds. You know, the, the I think it was the second and fourth were the two rounds that stayed on the feet. So uh, they, for that fight, honestly, it was the size difference for me. It so was you were unreal. saying like you were saying like Horiguchi got the better of the feet, but yes. once the fight was on the ground, not even one on way the ground, traffic, really. Yeah. Once Patchy Mix got his back, which happened multiple times, the size difference played a huge factor. I mean, oh, it, it was insane. Horiguchi had the speed advantage, but it just seemed like Patchy Mix had a really keen ability to slow that fight down, get a hold of him, and get his back. And you do that multiple times, you're usually not going to win. Yeah, exactly, man. And for the play-in bouts, you know, it's great to see Enrique Barzola, a guy that's been in the UFC, a veteran, has a ton of experience, ton of fights, get a victory, advance to be in that first round. But then Danny Sabatello, this guy came in as a minus 385 against an undefeated number nine ranked Lugo. I was like, that's quite a big favorite. Or is he really this good? He's that good. He looked like a minus 700 favorite in this fight. It was pure dominance mm -hmm. from start to finish. His grappling uh, was second to none. Just so powerful, the pressure, the pacing. Man, if there's anyone that can make a surprise upset in this tournament, my money's on Danny Sabatello. Yeah, I guess I don't really have any takeaways. I guess you kind of took them all right there. But, uh, yeah, Danny Sabatello, definitely a dark horse right now. you got to love the performance there against such a – bright up-and-comer and Jornel Lugo who's looked so good this was a big coming out party for Sabatello um, I think Patchy Mick's performance really stands out in my opinion I know this the finish Rafael Stott's got and the fact that he got the title that's gonna carry a lot of the headlines but mm -hmm. uh, Patchy Mix he made weight that's been a challenge for him in the past before this fight he had a win over James Gallagher in that fight that he missed weight in and then here yeah. he gets a Pretty decisive victory over Horiguchi. It wasn't dominant. Again, it was like a 3-2, 48-47. But there was no doubt Patchy Mix won this fight. It, exactly. It was all said and done. And to get a win over Kyoji Horiguchi, who may be the best Japanese MMA fighter of all time, um, you know, there's a, the, some steep competition there. But uh, that, that says a lot. And the size played a big factor, but that's going to be something to his advantage the rest of the way, too. Yes, yes. You know, and, um, for Kuroguchi, who may be, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen him up against enough of these guys to know if he's one of the undersized guys in this Grand Prix, but it was a tough draw for his first fight, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, we, we're we having some interesting storylines develop here because I think a semifinal matchup between Patchy Mix and Magomed Magomedov it's Ooh. just a delight. And, you know, obviously Magomedov has to beat Enrique Barzola. That'll be happening here, I think, at the end of June mm -hmm. uh, is when that fight, as well as the Sabatello 
uh, Leandro Higa. That's okay. That's place. who he's fighting. But um, yeah, this this tournament's off to a good start. I know we had a bumpy road to get to the to the right. first fights, but they all turned out pretty good, and you know had some surprises, some some standouts. I can't complain. It, it still felt that it could be anyone's ball game. Truthfully, you know that's what I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's so true too. I mean, yes. Now I think the kind of favorite is Rafael Stotts, but um, man, you know if Sabatello or Leandro Higo put up a big performance, I mean that those are tough guys that he may have to go up against in the semifinal. Yeah. Mm, it's crazy. So again, more on that card to come, or cards, whatever. Uh, Bellator 278. We do have from Friday the main event was for the women's flyweight title. Liz Carmouche has finally reached the mountaintop. She mm. has secured her first major MMA title with a fourth round TKO over the champion Juliana Velasquez. Did it with 13 seconds left in the round, but Dominic, unfortunately, there's a little rain on this party right now because. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of controversy out there about the stoppage by referee Mike Beltron. Ultimately, Juliana Velasquez was in a crucifix position, so her arms were trapped. Carmouche was starting to land some elbows. Um, she landed a few, but it, it didn't seem like... I'm, I'm trying to like just present the facts and not throw how I feel into mm-hmm. it. So She started landing elbows... After a few landed, Beltron stopped the fight. And the argument being made online by, I would say the majority of people think this yeah. is a bad stoppage from what I've seen. Yeah. Especially pundits in the in our space. Um, and the, the argument seems to be that, you know, since she is the champion and you got to give her a chance to defend, there's only 13 seconds left in the round. She was winning the fight on all three judges' scorecards. Two of those judges' scorecards had it 30-27 yeah. coming in. And even in that round, it's not like she had a bad round. It's just it was the, at the end she got she got stuck uh, in a really bad position. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on the stoppage first. Are you in agreement with it, or do you think it was a bad stoppage? I, I'm in the agreement that it was okay. I I don't have an issue with it being stopped. I know that they weren't like the most powerful elbows, but especially like toward the end, a couple seconds before he stopped it, that's when they really started to land with some oomph. And if if that carried on for 13 more seconds, we're talking some pretty good damage, maybe potential bad cuts. I mean, you know how elbows work, man. It don't take nothing to slice a forehead open. So I don't see an issue with it. If she would have taken more and more, that would have been a lot of unanswered elbows straight to the face. She was seemingly stuck. It didn't look like Juliana was going to get out. If she survived that fifth round and didn't get cut, then hell, she could have came back and still won the fight. As Noah said, she was up on the judges' scorecards. But at the end of the day, that's not how it works. Carmouche gets the uh, ju- or the uh, stoppage win. It's a such a feel-good story for her to win regardless of how it happened. But, yes, controversy in a Bellator title fight. <laughs> Who would have thought? I know that's true. It's like, man, <laughs> such a Bellator thing to happen. I mean, again, they are not at fault for this. This is, no. you know, whether you agree or not, this is ultimately Mike Beltron's decision. It's nothing to do yeah. with Bellator. But it just seems like it always is. Their high-profile bouts just seem to, to you know, they, there's always something going on, right? Yep. And here was no different. How do I feel about this? Because I want to be really happy for Liz Carmouche, and I am in one way. But, I know, man. Um, I thought the stoppage was a bit premature. 
but not to the extent. I was shocked at how many people were mm-hmm. being very vocal about it. Yeah, I don't agree with the mindset that just because she's the champion that she like deserves be some, to be like, yeah. like that she should be given like some sort of special like chance yeah. to defend like extra time to, to possibly get out of it. I just don't think that that's yeah. how it works. That's kind of like when people say that like, oh, any fight that goes to a decision, the champion should retain because you have to beat the champ to beat the champ. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I never agree with that kind of sentiment. So here, um, I, I want to see this fight run back. That's that's ultimately what I feel, and that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Again, Velasquez was winning most of this fight. Carmouche had her moments. I think round two she had some uh, control time, and then here in round four at the end she got right. she got a good round going. But uh, again, I don't remember how I was really scoring it. Again, two of the judges had it two to one. Velasquez and one had it three zero. Velasquez. I don't know how round. I'm assuming round four, if it had went on away, probably would have went to Carmouche based on the the elbows. And yeah, yeah. Stuff at the end there. Um, but regardless, I think that there's enough of a not contra. It's not even about the controversy. It's just I think you saw a competitive enough bout where yes, Carmouche was opportunistic. She got a very dominant position and she finished the fight when she had an opportunity, a window to do mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. But Juliana Velasquez was winning the fight, and yeah, she only had one title defense, but who else are you going to give a title fight to in this division? You're not going to give one to Alimale McFarland. <laughs> we'll talk nope. about that later. You're going to give it to Justine Kish? I don't think so. Yeah. So um, I think you run this fight back, and we'll see if Liz Carmouche can prove that it wasn't a fluke. And uh, But, you know, I, I got to kind of come... At Juliana Velasquez a little bit again. Um, you know, there's... In this performance... I, I will say that she, she fought a better fight than she did against Denise Kielholtz. Uh, mm-hmm. At least before <laughs> yeah. it went downhill. But she still lacks a little bit of urgency sometimes. And, yeah. and I think she plays it a little too safe. Uh, she, she is a good distance striker. She is a black belt in judo. But she does... I don't know. She could be much more lethal than I think she is. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, she was undefeated coming into this, obviously, for a reason. But, yes, the urgency, you know, especially because I felt like when she beat Alimale to get the belt, it was a pretty solid performance, like not lackluster like that. I thought she looked very dominant. That was what it was so impressive because Alimale was such a longstanding champion. Exactly, and we haven't seen that since. And, obviously, you know, the matchups – can hinder that of course it's not like we're expecting her to come in to do what habib did to people but you know i do think ultimately it will be run back like you said and i think it should be it does make sense for carmouche it's an opportunity to prove it wasn't a fluke to solidify herself as the champion mm-hmm. this late in her career for juliana a chance to make it right and honestly if juliana comes in and wins then knowing bellator they'll probably make an immediate trilogy as well but uh we'll let that simmer and see what happens yeah exactly uh one more card to go over and that was the one that started our Weekend off on a Wednesday, I guess, if that's how we're going oh, yeah. about weekend previews. That's how we got to do uh, it. That's the PFL. PFL, the first week, went underway. It was the light heavyweights and the lightweights for this week. And the main event saw Cassius Clay Collard and Jeremy Stevens give mm-hmm. us maybe the fight of the year so far. I mean, a absolute war for all three rounds. Clay Collard ends up getting the unanimous decision win over Jeremy Stevens. 
but nobody was really a loser in this fight, in my opinion. What a debut for Jeremy Stevens. I feel kind of bad for him because he, no judge gave him a round. Yeah. And I thought it was a clear 29-28 collared, yeah. but, man, like, that guy fought his ass off, and he didn't even get a round from one judge. Really, yeah. guys? Come on. But maybe I I kind of understand it for these judges because, let's be clear, Clay Collard is maybe one of the most fun guys to watch in all of MMA right now. Yeah, he is, and he definitely is in the PFL. They've got something special with Cassius Clay Collard, man. And he's been in fights like this, but this mm-hmm. one was just elevated. It was the main event slot. It was the first regular season event. It was against Jeremy Stevens, you know, UFC veteran. So uh, what a fight, what a war. A great win for Clay Collard. He gets those three points to move into those kind of rankings and the point system they do for the season. For Jeremy Stevens, and I love how he put it in the uh, post-fight presser, I feel like I can knock any of these motherfuckers out except for Clay Collard. So, uh, you know, Jeremy Stevens, he's still got some chin left in him. Uh, it's good that he's here in PFL. It just really fits him at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. And I'm not counting him out, Noah. He could very well win that second regular season match and put himself into the playoffs. I mean, we could very well be looking at this as a rematch for the yeah. the, the, the season crown. Now, I think there will be some people that have something to say about that, but – uh, this definitely got me more excited about like this lightweight division. You know, it's it's one of the divisions that I think um, I maybe was overlooking a little bit. Uh, but you know, after this, like I I really feel like we're in for a very competitive season for the lightweights. And um, credit to both these guys for just the absolute bloodshed that they gave for us fans on a Wednesday night. Yeah. The the best the best form of violence you can find on a Wednesday for sure, and um, you know I got to give credit to the PFL too because I I've been very hard on the PFL the last few months. The PFL Challenger Series was a bit of a dud in my opinion, and then you had the 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 really dropping the ball moment of uh, uh, promoting taped fights as live yeah. events, yeah, uh, really fucking up things on the betting side for people. So. Um, I'm glad to see that they've kind of they're back in their groove. This is their this is where they excel at is right here yes. doing this season format. They had a really good first card here. Obviously, we'll have more to talk about later, but uh, a great way to cap it off. It has me excited for week two. Yes, amen, brother. Yeah. Now, before we get into the rest of these fights from these cards, we got one couple uh, one things to talk about and. Uh, both of them involved the world of boxing, Dom. This is true. How about that? How about that? So, Saturday, also, I mean, just the fight weekend was crazy. <laughs> a lot of combat. Tyson Fury, following his knockout win over Dillian White, he brings none other than UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou into the ring. They're, they're buddying it up, chumming it up. Arm around one another. Tyson Fury says they are going to fight. They are going to find out who's the baddest man on the planet. Tyson Fury said it can be boxing gloves, MMA gloves, in a cage, in a ring. It don't matter. Yeah. A lot being said here, Dominic. But your thoughts on a potential Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou boxing fight with MMA gloves is the leading theory right now. Yeah, so it's, you know, when you put it that way, it's like you look at when we've seen this happen before, right, with Conor McGregor, obviously Floyd Mayweather comes to mind, but that was a typical, normal boxing rules, everything, 12-ounce gloves, you name it, it was boxing. This, 
This is different. We're talking potential MMA gloves, which are four ounces, way different from boxing gloves. Mm-hmm. You know, a mixed rules fight in a boxing ring. Francis Ngannou, the power, uh, he puts people to sleep with one punch. Tyson Fury, well, he's got an uppercut of his own if you watched on Saturday night. You know, both these guys have had some pretty highlight reel uppercuts, if you remember Francis versus Overeem. So this is uh, this feels big. It feels like something big is is brewing, I should say, for 2023. You know, selfishly as an MMA fan, I would hate to see Francis not continue in the UFC and defend his heavyweight title. Uh, so obviously the ideal situation is him and the UFC can come to terms. They can fix this. He can fight and defend his belt uh, in 2023 and then move right in to a boxing or mixed rules fight, I should say, with Tyson Fury. Francis Ngannou Noah could be in 2023 having one of the biggest years ever for an athlete, period. Oh, that's a that's a take right there. I don't I don't. I mean, I know it could be a huge year for him, but I, you know, I don't know. I that, if that's the I, okay. I but I get what you're saying. It, it uh, he's definitely like a shooting star right now. Like he's yeah. just on a an absolute climb. Um, he is on the shelf for the rest of this year, so kind of his 2022 is kind of wrapped up early. But I don't know if he was really going to fight again this year, anyways. Yeah, uh, surgery or no surgery and. Uh, okay, truth be told, this fight will be absolutely massive. And it's so strange because Tyson Fury is obviously a big... I mean, he's one of the biggest draws in combat sports right now. Yeah. Francis Ngannou maybe isn't there yet, but he's kind of on his way there. And I mm-hmm. think that things like this, which you saw Saturday, are really putting it in people's mind, like how big of a deal this fight can be. Um, I think this fight happens in 2023. I am, however, not very confident that we do see Francis mm-hmm. Ngannou fight in the UFC again. It's it's interesting because where does Francis Ngannou go from there? After he does this, if he were to do this mixed rules, or um, it's not really mixed rules, but having, you know, we'll call it mixed rules just to make it easy fight. Yeah. Um, you know, where does he go from there? He does that. I'm going to, I mean, I don't think he has much of a shot at winning. I mean, I, I guess you always have a chance when you have the kind of power he does, but I mean, it's still boxing. He's, Tyson Fury is one of the best boxers ever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I just have a hard time seeing him winning, but win or lose there. I mean, where does he really go from there? You know, especially right. with the loss, like what's next. And then, I mean, the amount of, the amount of millions of dollars he's going to get from that fight you know he's not going to go back to fighting for the rate that he was in the UFC. Right. So that's going to force Dana and the boys to either pay the man or don't. Yeah. And to be honest, with Conor McGregor, it made sense because Conor McGregor on his own was doing a million and a half pay-per-views with Nate Diaz and Eddie Alvarez and uh, guys like Jose Aldo and Chad Mendez. They're doing... Big, big pay-per-view buys. Francis Ngannou maybe at that point would be of a Conor McGregor level, but I have a hard time seeing someone, uh, even even Ngannou, who I think has that superstar potential, I have a hard time seeing him reaching like a Conor McGregor level. Yeah. I have a hard time seeing him become bigger than the UFC. Right. So if he doesn't do that, I don't know if it would even be in the UFC's best interest to pay him what he's going to want to continue defending that heavyweight title for them. Could be wrong. Obviously, if the fight with Fury takes place, that's just going to bring so many eyes to him that maybe 
he will be like Mike Tyson 2.0, basically. But yeah, um, time will tell. I don't think the UFC will have a part in promoting that mixed rules event. I know we talked about this the first time we did this episode. I'm not confident that the UFC will do a, have a part in it like they did for Connor and Mayweather. But if they do find it, you know, Dana White at the end of the day is a good businessman, uh, Dana and the boys. They, they are good at what they do for a reason. So if they really see no other possibility but to get involved to, to financially uh, benefit from this, then maybe they do. Yeah, so this is kind of like where my headspace is because obviously – if things don't fix between Francis and his team and the UFC, he just becomes a free agent in like January or something based off of this kind of weird contract situation that he's in. So obviously if that doesn't happen, he'll probably just go right in and do the boxing match. And we may just never see him fight again after that ever. He's going to make so much money anyway. But so on the other end, say he, they kind of work this out in 2022 where the contract situation, you know, gets fixed with the UFC I almost envision the UFC wanting Francis to defend the belt against whoever the interim champion may be early 2023, whether it's John, Stipe, Taitu Vasa, whoever the hell it may be. We don't know what's going to happen in 2022. Mm-hmm. But um, I would see that. And then it essentially would be the UFC kind of going out on a limb, taking a bit of a risk and saying, all right, if he can win this, that builds more credibility. We go right into this boxing match with Tyson Fury and just blow the roof off this place with a massive pay-per-view. That's kind of where I'm at, at least the two spectrums of how this fight will come together. The only reason I don't think that happens is because his contract's up at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And, again, the UFC, maybe after the fight takes place, we'll see the value in bringing him in, even if he is bigger than the sport. You know, a la Conor McGregor. Yeah. But, uh, again, I think Ngannou's going to have a very big price tag almost immediately following Saturday. I think his price tag might be to a level that, dare I say, he might not be worth right now. Mm-hmm. Worth an, uh, worth relatively. You know, let me be clear that the guy's worth a lot. It should, and then, you know, you have the whole fighter pay thing. I'm just saying that as it stands, as the UFC's model is kind of working, Ngannou, I think, is going to want a lot of money now because he knows where he's going. Yes. That it's only going up. And, again, I just don't know if the UFC is going to commit to that, and I don't think they'll commit to that if the fight hasn't taken place yet. Right. So it, it does leave a lot up in the air as far as for the UFC's heavyweight division. We can be excited about that fight all we want, with him and Fury, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of fun theater while the, the real competitive bouts are kind of hurting here because, yeah. you know, we want to see the best heavyweight in the world compete. But if he doesn't, I mean, it's kind of crazy how this can open the door for either John Jones or Stipe Miocic if that fight happens to have a... I mean, John Jones, we kind of already expected to potentially hold a top heavyweight title and defend it, but... If Stipe could win it again, yeah, maybe have another title reign. I mean, it's crazy. Who would have saw that coming? The heavyweight division is in a state right now that it's never been in before in the UFC. It's very intriguing, but also frustrating. Yes, exactly. Now let's get into the rest of the fights from the weekend. We'll go back to the UFC co-main event. Claudio Puelles gets his third knee bar in UFC out of his five victories over Clay Guida. 
Three minutes in the first round. A lot of first round finishes on this card. Claudio Puelles was seven years old when Clay Guida made his <laughs> MMA debut. Yeah. And here he is putting him in a knee bar. It's probably submission of the year right now, I would say, Dom. Yeah, I mean, this was unreal. The guy came into the UFC, Puelles, that is, loses his debut, and now he's tallied off five in a row. Caps that winning streak off with Clay Guida submitting him with a knee bar in the first round. Looked like a wizard on the ground, the way he was moving about, transitioning. He, he was threatening, obviously, so many different positions. But the specific route to which he got to that knee bar was unlike anything I've ever seen mm-hmm. before. It happened so quick. You blink and you miss it. Uh, this kid, all of a sudden, is on a lot of people's radars because he was in a co-main event slot on an ESPN Plus card. I think if he, he is entering those other prospects in this lightweight division and there's a shit ton of them that are right on the cusp and looking into that top 15 he's he has now joined that conversation uh you might be right but let me just play devil's advocate for a Mm -hmm. second is really he he so we know how lethal he is with jiu-jitsu you saw the transitions here and how wicked fast they were yeah uh the way his body was moving at times were just seemed like physically impossible right yeah but it also to me feels like he might be a very limited fighter and that maybe once Mm. you go beyond that maybe his striking doesn't hold up maybe his other abilities of mma are just not up to snuff while you got guys in this lightweight division i mean that's so such a shark tank that are prospects that are already full they're in a full package already i mean they're good everywhere so while I, I agree with you, I'm not sure if a win as impressive of a knee bar as it was over Clay Guida, and Clay Guida's a legend, but Clay Guida is also not the kind of guy to get a win over that's determined that you're a top 15. Player. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. But I, I get what you're saying as far as, like, maybe this does get him into a certain conversation. Yeah, co-main spot, that's awesome. I'm surprised at how little I've heard about Claudio Puelles since it happened. So yeah. I'm just not sure if he's really getting that respect right now. But yeah. if he keeps going, it's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Next up, Macy Barber mm-hmm. gets her second straight win, even though it feels like this is the one that really got her <laughs> yeah. back on track. Yeah. With the unanimous decision win over Montana De La Rosa, 30-27s across the board. Maybe one judge gave Montana a round. I'm not sure. Um so Dominic Macy Barber, twenty three years old, still so young. Yep, she is coming off a win over Miranda Maverick, another good up and comer in this division. But it was a fight that people were not impressed with her performance, and most thought she didn't really deserve to win the fight. Here, can't really say anything about her not deserving to win here. I mean, it was a pretty clear victory for her. But in your eyes, is Macy Barber back? <sighs> I think she's right. This type of performance is something I think she needed. I think she needed a dominant showing, which is what she came into the UFC and was starching three straight opponents. Granted, those were all finishes. This was good because it was a complete 15 minutes, and she looked good throughout. Yes, she had some uh, bottom. uh, Montana got on top of her in the second round for a few minutes. But outside of that, she looked great. She was able to even get back up in the second round, get some top control herself. So this was something... I feel like we needed to see from Macy, you know, it, it like you said, it felt like the bounce back win because that one against Miranda Maverick didn't necessarily have that feel to it. So yes, at 23 years old, she's getting better and I see it. 
I saw it in this fight, and it makes me excited for what's to come next. Uh, this this could be the win she needed to really pick up that momentum she once had. Yes, I completely agree with that sentiment. That that she I saw a lot of improvement here. Yeah, didn't see it in the Marina Maverick fight. Obviously, no. didn't see it in the Alexa Grasso fight or um, the Roxy. Roxanne Montefiore fight. But uh, you know, I with Macy Barber, I've always been uh, rooting for her, but. And I, and I respect her confidence. I know some yes. people don't like her for it, but yeah. um, I have always respected it for as young as she is, as talented as she is. But I've also not been someone who thought that she was going. I did not think that, like, the whole being the youngest champion thing. Right. Regardless of Valentina Shevchenko, who's yeah, yeah. The, just levels above the rest in this division. I just, Macy Barber has prided herself on the the power in her strikes, her ability to strike on the feet, but she, I wouldn't say that she really competes very well if she's going up against a seasoned striker, right? And you know, I just feel like it kind of limited her ceiling a little bit. But here, I saw a much more well-rounded game from her, and that's all I wanted. I didn't need to see her go in and get like a TKO finish yeah. via strikes. That'd be impressive, sure. But to see that she's working on those other elements for getting better, I know she works a lot with Ben Askren, so you know you would hope that the wrestling would be improving quite a bit. And it looks like she is, man. She's really fully fleshing out the rest of her game. And yeah, you know, as she gets a few years older, I mean, she could become very dangerous here. And I just hope the UFC kind of stop putting all these top women up and comers in this division against one another. Let them. We need to start placing them against people like Jessica I, like Lauren Murphy. They're going to replace like, them, you know. Like they need to kind of, these ladies that are in the top ten need to prove that they're really worthy of staying there. Yep. And if and these up-and-comers got to prove that they're legit, they're ready for the big time. It's, yes. That's what we got to be doing here. Monofior Mon- fighting yes. Jennifer Maya, that kind of stuff. Like that's yes. That's what we need more of. Yes, and there's so many saw, of them. I saw someone call for Macy Barber to fight Aaron Blanchfield. And I'm like, right. stop it. Bad right. dog. Like, spray right. him with the water gun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Next up, one of the best nicknames in the game, in my opinion, Charles Air Jordan got the first-round submission over Lando Venata. Didn't come easy, but he got it pretty quickly here, two and a half minutes into round one. You know how I feel about Charles Jordan. I think he's super underrated talent. This was supposed to be... Uh, a bit of a barn burner of a fight ended up going a lot quicker than we thought. Uh, were you at all impressed by the finish or um, any real takeaway here? Or are you more impressed with maybe how Venata was kind of looking early? What, any thoughts on this one? I feel like there's positive takeaways for both guys as short of a fight as it was. Lando looked very crisp and technical and precise, powerful even in the first couple minutes. Jordan, of course, flipping the tide, locks in a guillotine submission with one arm. He didn't even use the second arm, Noah. That was very impressive. Charles Jordan hasn't really showed us a submission threat in his career, and then he goes out and makes it look easy, essentially, once he had it locked in. Uh, Choke Lando right out of his Venom fight kit. He was in his undies running around the octagon. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, this was a very good performance from Charles Jordan. Lando's always going to be there and challenging these younger guys, but Jordan, and I kind of think i think i said it on thursday but just like the or it might have been on the the betting show but jordan's i think just ceiling in general at only 26 years old there's some legitimate potential here in this guy and uh this was a he's tallied off two in a row now two very good performances yeah i 
I've been riding high on Charles Jourdain. Was a little nervous early in this first round, but um, that's kind of Jordan's game, man. That's why people, I think, do underestimate him is because it, he, he doesn't necessarily always have the cleanest of wins or the, the most flawless of performances, but right. the guy ultimately is winning, and he's winning in pretty good fashion, I would say. So yeah. uh, he's an exciting fighter, but I think he's more than that, too. I think he's very talented, so I I'm agree. happy to see he got the win. Back to Bellator we go. Saturday, this was in Honolulu, Hawaii, the home of one former women's flyweight champion, Alima Lay McFarland. And she ultimately loses a unanimous decision to Justine Kish. Justine getting her first win in the Bellator cage. Makes her one and one now, I believe. In the UFC, she went something like two and five or three and four or something like that. She had an under 500 record in the UFC. Uh, this was expected to be kind of a get-right fight for McFarlane, I think, and uh, she comes out on the losing end. I'm just going to be honest, Dom. We, you know, Before McFarlane's title defense with Juliana Velasquez, that was kind of when I started watching Bellator. If I remember right, that's like one of the first Bellator cards I really sat down and watched. Yeah. So I didn't get to see experience a lot of the hype for Lee Malay McFarlane and experienced some of her title defenses before. Not too impressed so far. And I obviously like you're seeing her two law. I'm watching her two losses, but right. I've just, I'm not really seeing the, the longstanding champion. The, the one of the, I mean, look at the kind of entrance she got here. Yeah. I mean, she got, this is like a Conor McGregor level entrance, you know, and she was, yes. In a feature bout for Bellator 279. It's uh, very interesting. I, I think Alima Lay McFarlane, I could see the appeal. I see, you know, she's uh, she's good looking. She's got a good, exciting fight style. But mm-hmm. here with Justine Kish, she fell flat. Yeah, That's really all I can say about it. I will give Justine Kish credit that she was a much more game opponent. She looked a lot better than I expected her to. Yep. But at the end of the day... This, the ball was in Alima Lay McFarland's court, and she came up short once again. Yeah, I mean, you put it best. You, the best, and the, you know, just to cap it off, it's just essentially while it was a good win for Kish, one that shocked a lot of people, she could potentially catapult herself <laughs> right into the top five of the flyweight division if we're talking about the champions and whatnot in the future, and the title challengers, I should say. But it was a worse loss for Alima Lay McFarland. Yeah. Very, very tough. Curious to see kind of what she wants to do next or if she's going back to the drawing board after what was already a very long layoff. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, We already talked about the play-in bouts for the Grand Prix, so we will skip over those on the script and move right back into the PFL to cap this one off. As I mentioned about that lightweight tournament earlier, well, the champion of last year's lightweight tournament, the underdog, the the guy that was, I think, at that plus 1,000, uh, betting underdog to win that season's tournament. And he did it. Rosh Manfio, he was back, and he was going up against someone a lot of people were excited about, myself included, Don Madge. Yeah. Don Madge looked great early, Got was getting the better the first two rounds, looked like he was about to get a really statement victory in the very first event of the season. And then Rosh Manfio lands some nasty combination that puts him out in round number three. You can never count out this guy, Rosh Manfio. I am, I find myself just so 
amazed by this guy each time I watch him because I keep counting him out and he keeps breaking down those walls and showing that he's legit. He's real deal. You can't say anything about him anymore. Sure, he's losing this fight, but he he might be losing for 14 minutes of the fight, but you got to make sure you're on your uh, P's and Q's for that last minute or else you're going to get put to sleep. That's just the way it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, does anyone embody the underdog role as much as Manfio right now in MMA? I mean, you said it. A plus 1,000 last year, runs through the competition, wins very decisively in all of his bouts last year, even beat Anthony Pettis in his debut fight in PFL, and was still looked at as an underdog, won that million dollars, won that Grand Prix. Then he comes into this and was still a huge underdog against Don Madge. I get the hype was there. He's still a very good talent. I think he's going to make noise still in this Mm -hmm. season. But... Roush Manfio finishes him, makes a statement, and proves, hey, I'm the guy that won last year, and I should be the front runner to win again this year. What a performance. What a, yeah. what a finish, I should say. And I'm glad you said that about Don Madge, because I still think that he might be, just like we said with Jeremy Stevens, yes. I think you might be seeing him make a lot of noise still from even coming off this type of loss. I think it's his first loss via knockout, though, so that's definitely tough. But just a great first event for PFL. And then... The light heavyweight winner last season, Antonio oh. Carlos Jr. was back, shoe face, and he gets the first round thirty or twenty nine second submission over Dylan Monte. He was already a minus one thousand favorite, Dominic. Yeah, I mean, do we just hand him the million I mean, dollar check already? I mean, he didn't even get touched, no dust or nothing. Came right back in after the layoff and gets the win. Hurt him on the feet, damn near knocked him out. Then locked in the Darce choke submission. This is what I love about the PFL. Is that Antonio Carlos Jr., another guy we're looking at, you know, you want to talk about like a Jeremy Stevens, for example, struggled in the UFC, especially latter parts before they left the company. They come into the PFL. Look what Shoeface did last year. Wins a million dollars, gets a belt, and now he's a huge favorite to win it again this year. Steamrolls his first opponent. This is where the PFL can shine and the type of um, competition and fighters that they can bring in. This is what I love so much about this company and what they do with this show and the way that they do their season. And Shoeface is leading the charge at kind of being example A of that right there. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm not saying this is a slight on the UFC, but this is a guy who maybe never made more than like 50,000, 60,000 on a single fight, uh, depending if he won or not, and Antonio Carlos Jr. And here in the PFL, I'm not sure what he's making for a fight, but as long, if he wins the tournament, he gets a million dollars, Dominic, yeah. and he did that last season. So yeah. when one season in the PFL, he won the tournament, and he won more money than he will probably would have ever made if he never got this opportunity. Exactly. It's great. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up here for this weekend edition, or the recap edition, excuse me, of the show. And we do have one more segment to send us out closing statements dominic do you have any closing statements for this episode i don't have anything too crazy not any big speeches planned but i know that the springtime weather's hitting i hope we're all enjoying it i hope we're all happy and we're appreciating the support obviously we're heading into episode 200 coming out thursday another milestone another marker that we're just going to keep crushing through baby we appreciate your all support and i'm probably going to re-edit again reiterate it again on thursday but so happy for you all being with us on this ride we're just going to keep climbing Yep, I got a piece. So that's it. We're out. <laughs> and hopefully this is the last time we do this episode and we will see you guys on Thursday.